0: and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is J.G. Macquarie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Are you ready for this episode's song?
1: Yeah, I am. I am. I, I've got a, um, I have got ai would say a soft spot for it, but um, an element of sympathy, as it were, because I think it, it comes on... Um, Obviously, side two of uh, of the album that some might say is when it's getting a bit tired.
0: If by some you mean me, then yes.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, certainly, <laughs> certainly. If you were to look at the track listing, there's not much there that's going to make you go, "Wow!" But um, but I think there's um, there's there's a fair bit of this song that that helps it stand out from some of the the other. Um, lesser quality tracks if you see what i mean not least the fact it's um two minutes 40 with a fade out yeah so you know it's a mighty long beatles track and especially bearing in mind they didn't even hit three minutes um for another couple of years uh, on a track so two minutes 40 with a fade that's quite ambitious but i don't know how much of that comes down to the fact that it's not their song
0: well, there is that. Um, it's one of those songs I'd slightly, I think I kind of appreciate it more than I like it. I can I can, I can, can hear what the band are putting into it. I'm not a massive fan of, of, of that kind of slightly um, sort of 50s, early 60s, shalalala stuff. That's just, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not particularly to my taste. And I think they do as good a version of that as you could probably expect sort of for Liverpudlian men to do, um, when when taking over for an American girl group, it's it's absolutely fine. Um, it's just not particularly my cup of tea, I think. And it's a it's a, I don't know. It's yeah. I can hear that they're putting effort into it, but I, I don't, I'm not sure that the effort that they put in ever quite manages for me to get beyond the speaker grill.
1: Okay, so out of interest, then, because I haven't uh, done the deep dive and gone back and listened to. Um, you know the original. How different is it? Not especially. Um, it, it's it's. Well, when we were talking about boys,
0: it, it's kind of that, really. Um, okay. Uh, it, it, it's. The Beatles version of "Baby It's You" is to the Shirelles version of "Baby It's You" exactly as the Beatles version of "Boys" is as to the Shirelles version of "Boys." Okay, so it's the same. It's it's stylistically uh, similar. It's 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 doing the same basic things,
1: which which seems to be in keeping with the time. I, th- I think it's a much yeah. more. It's very much a sort of a seventies, perhaps then eighties, nineties um, idea that when you're covering a song, that you need to add something different to it. That you can't just do a copy. But of course, again, common theme, 50s, 60s, early days of, of pop and rock. I don't think that that idea existed. You know, you picked a song because you liked the song and, and what it gave. So you do your version of that song, even if the version is kind of like just a copy with you know the the old gender swapping going on. So um, it's not a huge surprise that, um, to hear the, the, the original. Would be a version that's similar to to this particular cover um but I think what interests me though is the song itself because I think you can tell that this song is written by experienced songwriters, songwriters who are schooled in in a craft and who've had successful hits already and know how to put a song together. Um, for a particular audience, I think you can tell it's a coherent product that it's got you know it's a start, there's a there's a bit of a narrative, there's a you know story in there. even though it's not particularly lyrically sophisticated, you can feel that there is a sense of development from point A to point B. Um, and, and musically, it's pretty assured whatever you think of of the version and the old um doos going on in the background i think it's it's a pretty well put together piece and that makes sense of course when you know it's Bacharach um and david and um and i've got the other one williams thank you um you know people who know what they're doing and Williams has appeared elsewhere on the album, of course. But you, you just have to go through some of the, the things, the songs that um Burt Bacharach has already written at this stage. You know, and OK, so 1958, there was Magic Moments. Say what you like about it, but it's a song that people know and they have remembered. Baby It's You was 61. OK, that's fine. But 62, you've got um I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself, which... You know Dusty Springfield had a massive hit in and is, is a fantastic song or um, make it easy on yourself um, which was a, you know a hit for Dion Warwick. Um, you know so there are classic songs that that Bacharach and David um, were writing around this time. whether this is as strong as some of um, his finest, fine, you know, probably not up there. But it's still a well put together song by someone who knows what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it is. But I I also think that that's like craftsmanship might be why I don't get on that well with this song, why I can appreciate it more than I like it. I I completely agree with you that that you can hear that it's written um, by people who understand their craft. Um, But I think that also leaves it a little bit. Calculated is too strong, but it, it feels it feels very deliberate in a way that the kind of more relaxed songwriting that say Lennon and McCartney are doing on this album doesn't. It feels it feels a, a little, ah, uh, God, not inauthentic. That also sounds a little bit too strong. But there's just that there's just something about it that just sounds like okay, we will sit down and write a song now, and here is the song we have written. Ooh, and, I don't know. Ooh, um, that's
1: harsh. I think. I, harsh. Harsh. I know. And especially I know it is. okay. I mean. We will be talking about Do You Want to Know a Secret in in the next episode. And, you know, without wishing to preempt anything there, there's a good part of that song. And then there's a couple of parts that quite clearly they've just sort of thought, oh, my God, we need something here and we need something here. Let's just put this bit in. And you can tell that it's been done by people who are still developing as songwriters and they sound awkward and it sounds clumsy not in this, this is this is polished, even to the point where it has um, one of my favourite, not this being a favourite thing, but one of my favourite things in, in pop and rock songs, which is silence. You know, you get the introduction, 11 seconds in, brief silence, then the vocal comes in. I love songs that are confident enough to be able to get to a point and then just go stop and then pick up again, you know, um, I'm pretty sure on, on this podcast before I've mentioned um, Kirsty McCall's They Don't Know About Us, I can even go as far to say that the, um, and this is a much more obscure reference um, for, for Beatles fans, um, on the Wedding Presents cover version of Come Up and See Me Make Me Smile, they do one that is just absolutely sublime, I don't know, it just touches me when, when you've got a, a good song and someone's confident enough to put that brief pause in and then get going. Love it. So, um, yeah, you're not going to win me over on this one. And I'm not going to try. But,
0: <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, again, I, I don't, I, that's, that's the thing. I, I don't really disagree with anything that you're saying. I just, it's just something I struggle to get behind. And it, it's, it's, I, uh, my problem, really, that's 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 the truth of it. I mean, sort of looping back to what you were saying about cover versions and whether they need to do something more than the original, it's kind of interesting that, um, given that this is a fairly, you know, straight down the line kind of cover version, it's also got that little Buddy Holly, oh thing yeah. going on at one point as well, which isn't an obvious fit for this song. It's a really, I find that a really interesting choice, and especially... Because it's Lennon, not McCartney. If it was McCartney, I mean, we know that McCartney's a huge Buddy Holly fan. He's the one that tends to kind of lean into that direction.
1: It's very unusual for Lennon to take that kind of cue on it. OK, so, well, that, interesting that you say that, of course, because I think lyrically this is quite similar to Anna Go To Him, where you've got the seemingly you know, cuckolded um, Lennon singing about how much he loves this woman, um, but that this woman seems to have an interest in in somebody else. But I will always love you. Um, you know, lyrically there's there's the the sort of a, a very Lennon-esque pity me kind of theme going on there. So you know, I can completely understand why um, of all of them Lennon wanted to sing it. It just seems to fit in with the, the sort of songs that he he liked singing and also liked writing. But it doesn't sound like Lennon. You know, you you sort of. And maybe that this is um, another one of those points. Then, if if you you sort of if you listen to it, I think if you weren't told it was the Beatles, would you know it was the Beatles? Because um, as much as I'm saying, oh, yeah, I like the construction of the song. Um, it's a polished song. It's not a very Beatles song. It's not a very Beatles vocal either. There's something about Lennon's voice here that just sort of makes me think this could be anyone. Well within reason I guess. Uh, Yeah uh, it is is a slightly odd performance um,
0: from Lennon it it doesn't sound particularly like him I don't think it sounds particularly like anyone except for that one little moment in the middle eight where he uh, what can I do then it's true and then he kind of really goes for it they don't want nobody nobody and suddenly his accent materializes from nowhere and it sounds like John Lennon again and then because baby it's you and it falls back into it and it's gone so just for that little moment there's there's a point where um yeah his his own voice suddenly materializes and i don't know if that's simply because he's paying more attention to the rest of it if he's putting a lot into it so he's he's concentrating on on his performance but when he goes for the the big power moment you know it slips and and he goes into his sort of more naturalistic voice then it comes back as he's sort of concentrating. I mean, we you used the word polished before, but I think this is a, this. I mean, it's a polished written song, but I think it is a very polished studio performance mm. as well. And I think you can hear, for all that, it doesn't necessarily sound like Lennon's voice particularly. You can hear that he's he's putting in the effort. He's really he's really trying to get this one right. This isn't just knocked off.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, see, that's an interesting one as well because. Um, you know, the good people at Wikipedia will tell you that it was a regular in their live set from '61. Okay, yeah. fair enough. They weren't perhaps writing down set lists, or people weren't recording set lists. Uh, set lists for maybe '61, possibly some of '62. It's not much they played um, after the album came out, and you know, set list dot um, um, fm. You know, says that they were playing it from February of uh, '63. But they do cover quite a lot of set lists through '62 as well, so it doesn't seem to be played a huge amount, and and certainly much like one of the previous songs we did, you know, an awful lot of the the, the 19 times it was played was in the Odeon, Southport, and the Winter Gardens, Margate. There's not much um, evidence that it was played uh, elsewhere, but you're right. It does sound as though it's one that they know. Um, Maybe it's just quite an easiest, maybe that's the trick of being a polished songwriter. You're writing songs that are easy. Um, you know, there's not a, a massive number of chord changes in. It's quite simple and straightforward and therefore pretty easy to get right.
0: I think it's an interesting one for for, um, for the live stuff because I think particularly a lot of those kind of, um, those backing vocals, the, the sha-la-la-la-las and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean we know that the that the Beatles are really good at being able to do that but it, it's I, that can't be that easy I wouldn't have thought to pull off on stage that that would have been a bit of a, a a bit of a challenge I suppose and that kind of makes it an interesting choice for it to have been played that often and in terms of its um I mean in terms of its chords it's like I think four chords or five chords. It is a very, very simple song. So, um, in terms of just being able to, to, to pick up a guitar and play it, I mean, almost, almost anybody could play it. So that's, that's definitely a valid observation. Um, but yeah, those, those vocals are not that. I think that, I think they're sort of deceptive. They they don't sound like they're all that complex, but there's a little bit of harmony going on and there's, there's some, there's some good work going on there and, and it sounds simple, but I don't think that it is particularly.
1: This, this may be me misremembering. Um, But, of course, on this, um, you get um, uh, George Martin credited as playing the Celesta. Yes. Um, Which is um, a new thing on me. Um, But, you know, basically piano slash keyboard type thing, a bell piano. Um, Don't know if there's anything vaguely relevant um, to that. Is that coming in 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 that instrumental break? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. that's exactly right. There's sort of an odd sound in there. Um, yeah, OK. No, that that I, I find that that's sort of an interesting thing to note. Um, you know, getting George Martin's presence um, on there. I, I mean, I wonder how many songs he did actually play on in the end where he doesn't get any form of credit, because I know the Beatles weren't very good at crediting other performers. Um, but it's but it's sort of an interesting it is an interesting little in, instrumental break when I mean, the first time you hear it you, you think well there's two or three things going on there if I can't quite pick out exactly what instrument's being played
0: yeah uh, yeah I think it is and again it, it sort of slightly speaks to, to George Martin that he was also like prepared to step in and go you know this this would help. This would give the song a little extra or a little push or whatever. Yeah. There's many, many producers who just simply wouldn't bother. They would let their act get on with it and then and then bugger off at the end of the session. So it's 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 yeah, it it's I mean, it's always one of the perpetually interesting things about George Martin, really, is that he was prepared to kind of go above and beyond, that even if it's something relatively simple like this, you know, it's adding texture to the song, it's adding a little bit of detail, um, which helps to set it apart, not just from other songs in the album, but obviously from, from contemporaries in the charts as well. It's it's It's... It's not necessarily an obvious thing for him to have done and um, and yeah it, it, it does make an audible difference to the song.
1: Yeah, and it takes it away from just imagine if if George had done one of his solos on it that um, I don't know if it would have added anything tonally. it probably wouldn't have been the right thing to do.
0: Well, I think it probably would have made it
1: sound like everything else.
0: And um, yeah. whatever whatever um, qualities or otherwise one might regard the song as having, it doesn't particularly sound like, you know, every other song on the album. So that's a, a, a nice thing I've been able to say about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's ironic, isn't it? That it's two minutes 40 with a fade, uh, the, the longest Beatles song so far. And yet it's the one that we seem to be running out of things to say um, the most quickly, really, isn't it? We uh, seem to have reached maximum capacity on this, which is a, a little bit on the weird side. Um, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, I think sort of also stylistically. I mean, like uh, you mentioned Anna before, and that's that's definitely a point of uh, a point of comparison. But it's amazing, I think, how quickly that style will fall out of their repertoire yeah. it, it doesn't hang around and i think with good reason i i think i've mentioned this before in the podcast but so many of these like stylistic quirks which make absolutely perfect sense in 1963, aren't going to make a lick of sense in 1964, and will never be heard from again. Now, how much you want to regret the passing of John's harmonica player is <laughs> entirely, entirely up to yourself. But it, but you know, it's it's not just that. It, it is these kind of weird little stylistic diversions that that just kind of fade away.
1: Well, we're not that far away from their first self-written um, LP, really. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's only. Uh, about 12 months down the line, Um, and you'll then see that marked development. Although, of course, uh, right, it's slightly unfair comparison, because, of course, we're cherry-picking Bacharach and David songs that have clearly survived for a reason, you know, even once we get to um, Help, uh, for example, um, and then even A Hard Day's Night, and then even into things like Rubber Soul, there are still some Ify's Beatles tracks on, on them. They, you know, admittedly, an iffy's Beatles track is still better than, you know, a good track by, you know, insert percentage here of, of of other acts. But you can argue that they don't really hone their craft for a while. Now, OK, in fairness, for every baby it's you... And I just don't know what to do with myself. The chances are there's there's ten or fifteen Baccarack and David songs where they thought, "Well, oh, do you know what? I'll give this one to Silla Black." Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, you're quite right. But yeah. you know what I mean. It, um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's almost like the. Um, sorry to digress into into other matters. And you know, one of the things that um, that people, I'll go for people, I was going to say teenagers, forget when they're looking at other people's Instagram and Facebook feeds and, and all of those sorts of things and, and comparing themselves, comparing the way they look with um, saying, well, I don't look as good as this person or the, the picture this person has posted. They're forgetting that up to that point, that person has probably taken 20, 30, 40 pictures or spent hours putting it through a filter to make sure it is the best possible representation of themselves. They forget about the fact that under the surface there's an awful lot of crap that doesn't get put out. So, um, I, I, you know, I wonder if, if anyone's ever done a covers album of rubbish Bacharach and David songs. Now, that would be an interesting thing.
0: Not um, a good I thing, mean, but
1: it'd be an interesting <laughs> thing.
0: Some of us might say that, oh, Eddie. Bacharach now, and David now. I,
1: now, no, now, no. now. That would <laughs> be ridiculously unfair. That would be exactly. a little bit like someone coming along and going, Pff, ABBA, tuh, rubbish disco group. Yeah,
0: yeah. whereas, of course, they're actually a glam group. But we'll gloss over that for the time <laughs> being. We'll
1: hey, Excellent work. But- Point, isn't it? Someone <laughs> yeah, no, would just absolutely. be churlish and, and, and a complete snob if they were to dismiss all of Burt Bacharach's oeuvre.
0: Indeed, indeed. And, uh, excellent work there, by the way, in, in, in trying to
1: appeal to a younger audience for us. I, I highly commend your efforts on that front. Well, maybe they'll get to hear about my, uh, my Instagram chat. Um, yeah, through our Instagram feed? Mm, no. Okay. No. no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which reminds me, I really need to put more effort into the Twitter feed. Sorry, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will do that. I will do that. Once once we break 200 downloads for a particular episode, that's when I'm really going to go to town on it. Okay, I will immediately start faking download statistics then in order to ensure that we hit that target. Here's the truth listener, and I use the word listener, singular version, uh, deliberately. I keep forgetting that we have a Twitter feed.
0: Yeah, and I don't do social media, so it's entirely on your benefit this one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, briefly returning to the matter at hand, I have absolutely nothing else to say about this song.
1: No, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Um, Farlander, perfectly fine, perfectly serviceable. Good job done. Move on to the next one.
0: Lovely. Then we will wrap it up there for this episode. You can contact us by email. We are BeatlesStuffology at gmail.com. As you may have been able to gather for the last two minutes of conversation, we are also on Twitter. We are at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we have a question for our listeners. Do you want to know a secret? But until then, keep listening.